Welcome to the Zealand Podcast, or welcome back if you've maybe, probably, listened to something we've done before. I don't know. It's not a we today. It's a me, Mario. I, I couldn't resist the joke. But the point is, we're just going to sit and have a conversation is something that I can reference for from now until the end of time. Because I'm fairly certain that the certain that I will be right on what we're going to talk about today. And that is club ownership and the idea of a Super League. we need to say off the top is that I'm American. This obviously colors everything. You know, I try and be very reasoned. I try and weigh all sides. You know, I try and understand different cultures. I've been to over 30 countries, right? It's a passion of mine, really. I, you know, I work in a field making YouTube videos and streaming to people from all over the world. I mean, there's over 1% of my viewer base from like someone like 40 or 50 different countries provide over 1% of my viewer base, which is really cool, unique, and special, and I enjoy it a ton. Uh, but that that's the background at which I'm coming, or from which I'm coming at this. As we all know, obviously the Super League flamed out. It was handled incredibly poorly. Uh, the way that it was announced, the way that it was structured, uh, the way that they attempted to portray it. Uh, it's like they invested a single dollar in marketing and they invested millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in trying to actually put the, uh, the league together with JP Morgan and everything. And it failed as it, it was destined to fail the way they decided to do it. But I do think that a European Super League is inevitable. I think it is inevitable no matter what direction club ownership goes in, which I'll leave for kind of the next segment. But I, I think that the European Super League is inevitable, and, and here is why. As we've progressed through time, sports-wise, the ability to travel has really affected things. And you see leagues in a bunch of different sports. And I know talking about a bunch of different sports doesn't resonate with a lot of people that might be listening to this. But I grew up in a, in a multipolar world, right? A lot of you listening to this, at least the majority of you listening to this, grow up in a, in a bipolar or just kind of a singular world where there is one sport. And when you're talking about sports, it's generally assumed that that is what you're talking about. In the United States, if you say, I play sports, uh, or I'm an athlete, or I'm a player, you don't have any specific sport that you could be talking about. Not only do you have American football and basketball and baseball and ice hockey, all of which the United States is at the very least a top three country uh, in those sports and something like American football, no other country even really plays. Then you also have the fact that the United States just really cares about the Olympics and Olympic sports and things like snowboarding and skiing and track and field and uh, it, right in tennis, uh, on the, especially on the women's side with somebody like the, the Williams sisters or Serena in particular right now. Like you have this culture, golf is another, you know, you the, the Ryder Cup is, uh, best I understand it, it's like Europe against essentially the United States. 
in able to take on the world in basically any sport. And so I grew up in a world where a, a bunch of people played a bunch of different sports and you play sports all the time. And in those sports, you see the remnants of the inability to travel. So in the in basketball, for example, in the NBA, you have an Eastern and a Western conference. Now, the idea behind that was that you would play a lot of the games in your conference and uh, now the way that it works is you play a few games in the other conference because you know, it's, it's a longer trip and it still makes sense that way. Uh, but the reason that I think an, a European Super League is inevitable is the reason that I think uh, a lot of major leagues in the United States ended up coming together. It is not just a financial interest when it comes to wanting to see the best teams play against each other. Uh, now... It is difficult for me to try and express these thoughts cleanly because I know that whatever I say here is going to be judged until the end of time, really, probably held over my head. Not, not that I'm saying it, that it should be because I think that, that I'm right, that it makes sense. Uh, but there is a vested interest in wanting to see the best teams play each other. I think what the Super League that they tried to roll out got wrong is that they decided for us who the best teams were. The beauty of soccer, of football in Europe, is the idea that if your pub league team gets promoted for 20 straight seasons, it'd be in the Premier League. You know, that's not an exact number, but you get the idea. If your Sunday league team continues to get promoted, if your local continues to get promoted, it can be all the way at the top of the game. There is no cap on how high that team can go. And when the Super League was introduced, that cap, it appeared. There was a limit to how high you could go. They thought they left it open by saying that there were five teams that could be in it. No. But the forces that have created things like the Premier League. I mean, I was not alive in 1992. But I know people that were. And I know that when the Premier League was created, there was a lot of misunderstanding and controversy about why are we doing this? Why are we creating this unified league with the strongest clubs? But what you know what they did is they kept it attached to the freaking pyramid. The desire to consolidate. You see it in the Euros. The Euros saying, oh, we'll host it all over Europe. You know, like you got 12 different host sites or whatever for the Euros that they planned. You see it in World Cups. The United States, Mexico, and Canada are hosting the latest World Cup or the, the World Cup in 2026. But that is a really large distance between play, playing in southern Mexico at one of those stadiums and playing in you know, Vancouver or Quebec. But you're able to do it. And as we continue to expand our ability to travel, the clubs at the top level, that their travel expenses are, rare, are fairly negligible. A Super League makes more and more sense. Because as much as you feel in the back of your mind that you enjoy the cold, rainy night at Stoke, right? That's the that's the common trope. It's like we want our cold, rainy nights in Stoke. As much as you feel like that is what you want. Being able to watch the top teams, the proven top teams from their countries play in a league to determine who the best you know no more debates about a farmers league you want to talk about somebody playing in a farmers league somebody else not playing in a farmers league or messi couldn't do it in a cold night in stoke or all these other stupid 
things that people talk about. All of that is gone if you create this Super League. And here's how I would do it. I think it's inevitable, and I hope they do it the way that I'm about to explain because I've spent a lot of time thinking about how it should work. The Super League should have about, I want to say, like 24 spots in it. And it should be attached to the pyramid. The European pyramid. And here's how I would do it. Now, there's a bunch of people that have had different ideas about this, but hear me out. So England would get four of those spots in the 24. Four. And those four teams do not play in the Premier League. They play in the Super League. And at the end of the season, one English team wins the, the Super League, one English team finishes 7th, one 11th, and one 18th. Well, the English team that finished 18th, the lowest finishing English team in the league is swapped out with the champion of the English Domestic League. So Arsenal has a bad year, finishes 10th. The Super League top four is chopped out of the Premier League, put into the Super League. The Premier League and the, comp the competition for the English Championship continues. But that is now the second tier. The Premier League is now the second tier. And the winner of that Premier League gets promoted into the Super League spot. Or, or and I am completely okay with either of these, say Leicester's the team that finishes 18th. Well, then they play the domestic English champions Arsenal in a playoff, a home and away. And the winner of that gets the Super League spot. This, the, there's a couple of other proposals that have to work into this. The number of spots awarded to countries in the Super League should be based off coefficient. So you get like Spain, Germany, and Spain, Germany, Italy, and England that get four spots in the league, right? And that's 16 of the 24 teams. And then we give France three, right? You give the Netherlands one, Portugal, uh, maybe Portugal gets two, Turkey, Russia get one. And then you have some sort of qualifying process where the champions of a few other domestic leagues like Ukraine, like Denmark, like, let's say Croatia and goodness, Australia, uh, and Australia. Yes, they're there. Austria, Switzerland, champions of these types of leagues that can put teams into normal Champions League group stages, well, they can qualify to be in the Super League through a qualifying process. And then if they have that spot, then they have to defend that spot against the champion of the qualifying process. So say one year, Copenhagen qualifies. Well, now all of a sudden, Dynamo Zagreb wins the qualification process and plays a home and away against Copenhagen to try and take their Super League spot. Monetarily, the way this would have to work is that the majority of the money made by Super League teams is shared down to the domestic division, which is, I imagine, what it would be called. So let's say England's four teams get 50% of the money from the Super League, and the other 50% of the money is divvied up and sent out to the domestic division. So the other Premier League teams are getting a significant cut of the cash to try and level the playing field some. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of reward for being in the Super League. And I think with that, you have an incredibly compelling competitive situation where you can root for your team and on the fan side of it I think you would need to provide a stipend for away days obviously the away days are going to be a lot farther right if you're playing Dynamo Moscow right on a Saturday Saturday afternoon you're going to need some travel time 
I think that 1% of the money that comes into it, it'd probably be even less than this. 1% of the money that comes in gets spent to allow free travel for the fans to away days. I think that is the way that you can preserve all elements of the culture here. The way that you can preserve all the elements. The, one of the things you would be missing is derbies, but with promotion and relegation, you end up in a situation where teams like Newcastle and Sunderland are huge rivals, so they don't play any. They don't play at all, anyways, right? So I don't want to hear the argument of, well, you know, we we would miss our derby. Well, that ha that can happen in the current system, and it does all the time in every league around the world. And the last interesting point about this would be you preserve the FA Cup. You want to talk about re-energizing the FA Cup? re-energizing the Copa del Rey. Well, how angry and how fired up is Sevilla going to be when they get their bite at Barcelona, right? Like when Sevilla gets the opportunity to play Barcelona in the Copa del Rey that they don't get in the domestic league anymore or unless they get into the Super League or Barcelona just lays down an absolutely terrible season in the Super League and gets relegated out of it. Then all of a sudden, the domestic cups are huge, right? The FA Cup could be considered the champion of England, right? The winner of the FA Cup's the champion of England. And all of a sudden, Wigan Athletic, it's Ben Watson, boom. You still have all of that potential magic in the cup or in the cups. The League Cup is now all of a sudden this fun, non-Super League sort of... The, you know, the League Cup is now this fun, non-Super League sort of occurrence. If you are in a country with now to Super League... I just, I, I would prefer that. I would. Maybe it's my outsider perspective, but I know that the United States and Mexico are going to merge leagues in the next 10 to 15 years, and probably Canada too. Or the Canadian Premier League starting up to help with their development to add a bunch more Canadian teams. I'm all for it. I think Canada's obviously exploded in its growth in the game recently. I think a, a full CONCACAF league, I mean, screw the CONCACAF Champions League, right? A full CONCACAF league would make sense. And I think you'll see qualifying spots merge and i think that leagues in europe are going to be no different look europe is not a huge area right you're the, the country i grew up in is about the same width as europe right if you don't include the fact that russia goes for like 40 million miles to the east the width of the country is about the same as is the country that i grew up in and if we can hold a league in that and travel to our away games and do everything without the stipend i mean if they do this right i think it could make everybody a ton of money I think we could, you know, we could drop the conversation of the Farmers League. I think national pride would get involved. It'd be great. You'd see countries like Iceland get a team in there uh, once in a blue moon, and you'd be super excited. Maybe Iceland's a bit of a stretch, but right. But a Croatian team gets in there, and then obviously everybody's backing them, or Celtic or Rangers got their shot against the big boys, or those sorts of storylines that a lot of people would be interested in. And I would love it. And on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about why uh, I. What are we going to talk about? Reese! Thank you, Reese. It's club ownership. So here are my thoughts on the ownership structure and what you should do ownership-wise. Because we had the storming of the Bastille, right, with Manchester United having its game delayed, which ended up just screwing over Manchester United, which I, I do think is kind of hilarious. There's a real groundswell of animosity, but what... What's important to understand here, and I'm going to say right now, is that we are going to remove politics and economic theory from this conversation, right? I'm not making an argument for or against capitalism. I'm not making an argument for or against any other form of economics. 
That's not the point here. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that football clubs, that soccer teams have an intrinsic value to their community. They should be institutions and not companies. That is what I'm talking about. They should be separated from whatever governmental system you think anybody should be using. And I know because I've talked about this in less depth on stream and it already started being brought up. So uh, I'm not even I'm not even insinuating anything by by saying all of that. Like I, I literally don't care. I'm talking about separating the teams from the actual economic system. I think that's what needs to be done. And you're not separating them from being able to spend a ton of money. Like, sit there and right now tell me who owns Real Madrid. You might know. Maybe you watch Tifo football. You know the answer to this question. But maybe you don't. They don't have an owner. There's no Roman Abramovich of Real Madrid. There's no Roman Abramovich. There's no Glazers. There's no John Henry of Barcelona. Right? They are owned by fans. And they make a lot of money and spend a lot of that money in order to improve the team. In Barcelona's case, way too much. They are owned by a collection of fans. Now, I am not saying that all clubs should be that way. A lot of clubs can't. Smaller clubs can't. But I do believe that a, a team that is promoted to the top flight in Europe... And you can set this line wherever you feel like makes the most economic sense. I would bring in some economists and do some analysis and figure out what is the line of self-sustaining uh, fan support. Top five leagues or whatever, where the really incredibly gross amount of money gets involved. And you say that when you end up in that position, you have to sell 51% of the club to the fans. Because the club at that point is a public institution. It should be a public institution, right? And, and what you do is you hire someone like Perez. You hire your director, but you could be Barcelona. You could have elections for the person that's the director, although I'd recommend having fairly long terms serving as the president or else they're just going to spend as much money as possible to try and please people and keep themselves getting reelected, you know? You have, you have to make, there's flaws in every system. You have to make sure that that flaw is mitigated. But you need to have fans with a controlling stake in the club. Now, there could be a minority owner. I have no issue with that. I think having one person calling the majority of the shots is great, but the majority stake has to be with the fans. They pay their membership fee. They show up to the games. They're yelling and screaming, and they are invested, and they have a vote in something. And they can block things. Importantly, things like the Super League or a relocation or the purchase of the minority stake. Because right now, the way it works is the club is a business. You might think that you, this is your club, and brah, but if you are in England, your club is a business. The person that bought it bought a business. They own it. The stadiums can get weird, right? The city might own the stadium, but they own the club. The players, the staff, the training grounds, the brand, the logo, the colors, everything. They own the club. They can do with it whatever they want. If they wanted to go to Tajikistan and start playing games there, they could do it. Because they own the club and can do whatever they want with it. That is your issue. And I think you're putting a band-aid over a bullet hole by storming the field to try and get rid of the owner. 
it is something that I don't think I'll ever explain better than this. In history, I'm a history major, and if you haven't listened to the history podcast, check it out. Some new episodes coming soon as my school is starting to wind down. But in history, there is this thing called a hereditary monarchy. It's what England still pretends it has, right? It's this first son, oldest son, takes the reins, and it's a roll of the dice. You can end up with a great king. You can also end up with a terrible one. It all depends on who that person happens to be. Ownering, like ownership of a club is the same way, right? You could end up with a great owner, like the dude at Leicester City, rest in peace. Or you could end up with the Glazers. And as long as you allow the system to stay in place where it is essentially a monarchy, right? There is one absolute power in one person. Then you're rolling the dice. Either you end up with a good one or you end up with a bad one. So if you're storming the Bastille to get rid of the owner and replace him with somebody else, you're not solving the problem. You're just hoping the next time that you roll the dice, it's better. Because if you ever get to a point where you have to start like aggressively breaking the law and delaying your team's games just to get them to listen to you, that is way too far. They need to sell 51% of the team to the fans. You can come up with any system you want to divvy out the team to the fans. They need to sell the team to the fans. 51%. The owner has 49%, runs all the day-to-day stuff, makes a boatload of money from being the 49% stakeholder, but 51% of the team has to go to the fans. That's the only way to, to keep this sort of thing under control because as we figured out, right, absolute monarchy with the exception of like a few countries has obviously not worked. And those few countries typically that still use absolute monarchy typically have a lot of checks and balances to prevent absolute power, which is something that somebody like the Glazers has right now. You need a bunch of people to make a decision. And you need the people that are most invested in what's going on to be there at the table to make it. Uh, so those are my thoughts on the Super League, the fact that it's inevitable, and the fact that club ownership is really uh, the kind of enemy here. And again, this is no statement. Uh, look, I just think that these clubs are public institutions, right? I, mean, I really hope this doesn't change. I know in certain countries this is the case where people like own the water you drink, but if the, the water you drink is kind of intrinsic to your life, Nobody owns the water, right? The government, you pay your taxes and the government goes through its process to provide the water. Well, if I pay my tax to the club and the club goes through the process to provide me what I want, a team and a league that I want. So take, you know, that's what you need to be protesting for. I don't know how you get there. I hope somebody in higher power has the guts to do it one day because I think that's the right solution. Vote for me to be the head of the FA. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be the day? All right. I will see you guys on stream. Thank you for listening. This has been the Zealand Podcast on the Zealand News Network.